Okay, well I have come back from a sabbatical with a list of sermons as long as both arms. You know, and uh, you know, you, you get that kind of thing, wow, I've got so many things I want to deal with. <laughs> but um, I just want to share a few things because, you know, I've got a couple of Sundays before Christmas. So I just want to share a couple of, you know, little incidental things. Uh, and then in the new year, really pick up on some more series. And uh, let's just have a couple of readings to start with this morning. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses. You, if you'd like a Bible and like to follow the, as we read and you haven't got one, then just raise your hand and then maybe one of the stewards will be able to give you a Bible and then you can look at it with me. Right? Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, keep your hand up if you'd like one. One of the stewards will be... Well, keep your finger in Matthew, and then uh, also put a finger in Judges chapter 10, because we're going to turn there afterwards. So as you find Matthew, which is in the New Testament, then we go to Judges, which is nearer the beginning of the Old Testament. The words of Jesus, famously coming from the Sermon on the Mount, we've read them and looked at them a number of times. There's one here. Anne, if you'd like that one. Bless you. I, I only say this because actually it helps if you've got a Bible. You know, um, one of the things that I've been really struck that while I've been away, actually, is how the world has changed. You know, when I was a kid, you'd go to carry your Bible, and you'd draw your swords, it was. Who went to a church like that? Draw your sword, fire, give you a reference, so you had a race to find it. You know, now you find most people don't even carry a Bible to church. And those who do have got it on a, an electronic thing. And I've got nothing against it. I just think how the world has changed. But actually, I realise that the, what, we, what we are as Christians, we are people of the book. And however that book is, it may be electronic, it may be on, in, you know, on paper, it may be bound in leather. This is the best deal I've got. I've told you about these Bibles I had. Bought three of these 20 years ago. £15 a piece they were. And uh, I got them for five or each. So I bought three of them, so when one wears out, I just start a new one. And they've been lasting for years, so it's good. But, you know, we are people of the book. God has spoken. And his revelation in that word is central to who we are and what we believe. And so we don't, hear, we don't come to church to listen to me spout on about something that I think is a novel idea that I've picked up along the way. I come to look at God's word and to expound that and to think that through and to realize what is God by his spirit saying to us so that that word comes alive, comes out, out the page and into our hearts and changes the way we live. And that's why I say, you know, reading our Bible, don't, you know, we need to look at it every day. This is daily bread. It's how we live. We're people of a book, the book, the Bible. The very word of God. And the God we believe in is the God of the Bible. You know, one of the ser- series I'm going to hopefully preach on sometime next year is uh, looking at the values that we have. We live in a world where values have you know, gone up in arms. I better not get into that because time is already getting short, isn't it? So, um, <clears throat> but we are people of this book. So I'm going to read from the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now let's flick back to the Old Testament, the book of Judges. We were in Judges sometime last year. We looked at the life of Gideon. To get in Judges chapter 10, just a few verses from here, if you're finding Judges chapter 10. After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar, Tola, son of Pur, son of Dodo, rose to save Israel. To save Israel means to lead, to be their judge, that was their leader at the time. He lived in Shamir, in the hill country, country of Ephraim. He led Israel for 23 years, then he died and was buried in Shamir. He was followed by Jah of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys and controlled 30 towns in Gilead, uh, to which this day is still called Havioth Jah. And when Jah died, he was buried in Camon. Let me just read you one more verse, verse 6. Wasn't planning on this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroths and the gods of Aram and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the Amorites, Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord, he no long and no longer served Him, he became angry with them. Well, may God bless to us this morning, both the reading and the preaching of his word. I want to bring you a simple message, uh, and I hope it won't go on too long, because I've got a lot of things I can say about it. Um, But it's a simple thing that, as it says, ordinary people can make an extraordinary difference. Ordinary people can make an extraordinary difference. You see, as you read the Bible, we cannot help but be impressed by the great lives of men like Moses and uh, David and Daniel and Paul and people like that. They did great things for God, isn't it? Very impressive when you hear what they did. But when you read of these two men that I want to bring out today, Tola and Jah, um, you know, I could have picked on a whole numerous number of people like that. Pretty Ordinary people who did something for God, nothing much is written about them. They're those people in the Bible who just said, and he served the Lord for 20 years and was buried with his fathers. You know? And I want to pick on that because those things we just glance over, and yet I believe God wants us to look at that and recognize that actually these were just ordinary people who did something extraordinary because they faithfully served God. They didn't write books necessarily, they didn't do great military campaigns, they you know, really just kind of helped maintain the stability and the peace of Israel. Um, they did their job. And I believe that's like you and I. I don't think there's many people amongst us here who are going to, people who are going to become famous. I don't know how many people are going to be writing books how many of you are going to be called to speak at uh, Spring Harvest or whatever 
You know, we're probably not in that league. We're not that kind of people. But we're ordinary people who can still make an extraordinary difference. People who can serve God if we make ourselves available to him and become faithful to him that he wants to use us where he's put us. And he's put us here in Weymouth at this time. And he's made networks for you to be connected in. And he's got contacts for people that you will meet that I can't meet. He's put you in a job. He's put you in a community that is beyond just this bunch of believers here this morning. And he wants to use us. And I want us to consider the lives and ministries of these two minor judges. Remember, you know, we often think, when we think of judges, we think of Deborah and, and Gideon and Samson and the, those big ones. But little guys like this who kind of just get told that they lived and served and died and were buried. And that's probably going to be us. Well, let's look at some principles that can be revealed in their lives of these unknown people in one sense and how we can learn from them. First thing I want to set the scene and that's the mess they inherited. The mess they inherited. You know, um, when we looked at Gideon a few years ago, was it about last year I think, year and a half ago, um, he kind of led the people back to serving God but then he kind of went off track right at the end and you know, um, and in, in the end what happened after after. Gideon was a man called Abimelech came along and his story can be found in Judges chapter 9. Abimelech was the son of Gideon by, <coughs> by his concubine and after Gideon's death Abimelech kind of determined within himself that he was going to raise up and be the leader of the Israelites and um, he kind of persuaded his mother's people the Shechemites to support him in his quest to become the king of Israel, and so Shechem conferred amongst themselves, and they said, yeah, we're going to support you, and they gave him 70 pieces of silver, and with those 70 pieces of silver, Abimelech kind of gets a press gang of, you know, some gangsters to support him, and uh, sends them off, and he, uh, they kill 69 out of 70 of Abimelech's half-brothers. Only the youngest, a boy called Jotham, escapes. You can read that in chapter 9. Uh, after this then the men of Shechem declare Abimelech he's going to be king and after he's anointed Abimelech rules just for three years but actually what happens during those three years is the people who once supported him turned on him uh, and they have kind of like a civil war they're fighting amongst each other and in the middle of all this battle Abimelech gets in, you know, is in a battle and a woman throws part of a millstone over the city wall and it hits Abimelech in the head. Right? Now that's a pretty deadly kind of thing to have if you've ever been hit by a millstone. <laughs> and Abimelech is kind of embarrassed by this. And he tells one of his soldiers, take your sword and drive it through me because it can't be said that a woman killed me. <laughs> well, I don't want to concentrate on that bit today. <laughs> I just want to see that by the time Abimelech is dead... The nation of Israel is left in tatters from this war. This military upheaval is not the only problem. The Bible tells us as soon as Gideon died, the people turned their backs on God. And they began to worship the fertility gods of Baal and the such like. And because of all these problems, the nation of Israel was in a mess again. From Gideon turning them back to God, very quickly it all kind of just breaks apart. 
And then after Abimelech is dead, we get to our two guys who inherit this mess. And we're told that, you know, Tola lived, served as leader of Israel for 23 years, and he died, and he was buried. And I believe that's only there because actually it's telling us that actually what, that God did something through a man like him. He can do something through a man like you and through me and woman like you. Ordinary people to do something extraordinary to make a difference. That was what they inherited. And a few principles I just want to bring out from that is that, you see, in, in that situation, God always had a remnant. God always had a group of people, even in the bad times, and when the nation is at war with it itself, when a nation has rejected God and worshipping idols, God always has a faithful remnant of people. Do you remember the story of, uh, of, of those verses up there when Elijah thinks, he, I'm the only one that's worshipping God. Right? And God had to come and speak to him, no, no, you're not. This. I've got 7,000 more. You ever felt like I'm the only one? No one else doing this, Lord. I'm trying hard. And God is saying, no, there are more. And there's always a remnant. God always has a remnant. And it's, it was true in those times of the judges. It was too, true in the time of Elijah. And it's true today. God still has a remnant in this day of increasing immorality and wickedness around us. And I don't know about you, but you, we have to look at our world. And it's a mess, isn't it? You look at other politics... You look at the finances, you look at the social structures, you look at relationships, you look at family life. It's just, a, it's just a mess all over the place. But God has a remnant of people in that mess who make themselves available and faithful to him and God wants to use them. Ordinary people. Unknowns, really. And he wants to use them. And I pray because I believe that's what we are here in our community. Just ordinary people who God wants to use to make an extraordinary difference in the community we live in. And I believe he can do that. He wants to do it. And it's always been there through the Bible. People who um, will you know, continue to tell the lost that they need Jesus. People who will continue to hold the Bible as the word of God and stand up. People who will believe things and, be and behave the right way. People who will do it and they will sing and they will shout and they will testify and honour God. And while this remnant remains, it may not be a majority. We're not. But God still has them there because he has a plan for his glory and for his kingdom and his purposes. And he wants to use us. God always has a remnant. God, uh, you know, serving God is not always easy but it's always right. Serving God is not always easy, but it's always right. It must have been difficult for Tola and Jar to have dealt with the problems that were left behind after Abimelech, and as they dealt with the idolatry of the nation. It wasn't an easy time, but they did what was right. It's not always easy, is it, for you and me? You find it easy to stand up being a Christian all the time? Sometimes it can be difficult, isn't it? It's pressure upon us. Do you want to be seen to be different? You're the odd one out. 
It's not always easy to walk the old paths when even other Christians are always looking for the new and trendy thing. It's not always easy to live for the Lord when others around you are just living for the world and for the flesh. But it's right. It's not always easy to do the right thing when others want to just do the bad thing. But it's always right. The fact is we need to make a choice that actually we're going to live for God even when everyone else seems to be going their own way and living for themselves. Our duty is not to look for them. Our duty is to have a fear of the Lord and not be fearful of man. Our duty is to keep our eyes on the Lord and to run the race that he's marked out for us, knowing that in Christ all things are possible. That's what we have to choose. We are ordinary people. But we have to stand up in our society, in our community, amongst our neighbours and our friends and our family members who often mock us and say, but I'm going to be different. I want to live for God. I want to see some difference made. No one would argue that our world's a mess, but we, we can lay the blame anywhere we like. We can blame Europe. We can blame Trump. You know, We can blame each other. You can blame the markets and the banks. But actually, it has to boil down that actually some of the blame <coughs> rests right here. It rests right here. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord, says the New Testament. And we need to look at ourselves. The people of God are partly to blame for the condition of the world. That's why I wanted to read that we are taking on seriously what Jesus said. You are to be the salt of this life, of earth this earth and the light to this world how seriously do we do that we've ceased to do what is right and silently things just drift away and we need to stand up and be counted Paul wrote it like this in Romans let me read to you from Romans 13 it says understanding the present time Because the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's not live in darkness. So we approach Christmas. What is, it, what is it? It's all about. It's about the light that came into the darkness, isn't it? The life that comes in where there was death. God stepping in. And he put that light and life in us. And we are to shine in our community. And if we fail to stand up for things as they slip away, then we have no right to complain when they're gone. They inherited a mess, these ordinary men. And I could just, these are just two names. As I say, you can go through the Bible and find lots of these people. But I want to look at the ministry that they performed. We have no details of of what they actually did. I'm, I'm kind of looking at what Christians should be like. These two men may not have led great military victories and campaigns. They may not have commanded great armies. They may not have left a great legacy of great achievements and building projects or anything like that. But what they did 
did accomplish deserves a little bit of, um, of consideration because it challenges that. What they did is they maintained peace in Israel for nearly 50 years. A nation that had been split by war, rebellion and pagan worship. They kept the people of God together. They prevented it ripping apart, not just from the outside, but from the inside as well. This was a ministry of peace in a time of turmoil. They helped preserve the heritage of their nation. They ministered to that faithful remnant in a time when it was fading and it needed consistent leadership. Tola and Jar did in their day exactly what we're supposed to be doing in our day. They acted like salt. You are the salt of the earth. They were the salt of the earth. They were just God's man placed in a position of influence. You see, salt does many things, doesn't it? It helps preserve, it brings flavor to bland food. Uh, it does also, you know, purifies all sorts of things. We're going to look at that. In Bible times, salt was really expensive, more valuable than money at times. We, we know at times that soldiers, Roman soldiers, are sometimes paid in salt rather than cash money. That's where we get the term salary from. That's where we get the term, the, the phrase, you know, he's worth his salt or he's not worth his salt. It all comes from that. Because salt was valuable and salt was important. And then Jesus turns and says to his followers, you're the salt of the earth. He's saying something really, really important where these are ordinary people like you and I, like these men back then, they they didn't hear that phrase, but they lived it. They had to make a difference. You see, ordinary Christians are to have a preserving influence. You see, salt wards off rot and decay. It can be rubbed into meat to preserve it. You know, one of the things I was treated to, um, this, this, actually this last week, we, Julia and I went back, we had some Jamaican food. You know, and one of the f- great, who, who likes Jamaican food? Right? Do you like ackee and saltfish? Anybody like ackee and saltfish? Yeah, yeah, it's a North London job, isn't it? <laughs> a bit of ackee and saltfish. But we, 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 had, we had some tins of ackee. Two of them from date were, were gone off by 2013. So uh, <laughs> we had to kind of find the one that we could eat. <laughs> uh, but, and we, we didn't have saltfish. We had ordinary cod. But this, we wanted the saltfish in there. It gives it a bit more bite and flavor. Because you know, salt preserved and dried the fish. But it also gives it a good taste as well. It's a preserving thing. Remember that incident in Genesis 19? Or is it 18? When uh, God and Abraham are having this discussion. <laughs> Amazing story. You go and read it. When, when Abraham is t- talking with God about how Sodom and Gomorrah can be saved. Will it be for 50 men? Will it be for 40 men? What if it was just 10? If there was only 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, wouldn't that, would you save it? Well, yeah, find me 10, he says. <laughs> people of God, salty Christians. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're supposed to be a salty Christian. All right? You've heard of the salty fishermen. <laughs> salty Christians. To preserve this nation from anything else. Right? It's the righteousness of God's children 
It's the salty prayers of Christians that made Britain great. Hmm? I mean, we've had wonderful achievements. Engineering, I went to Brunel University. I I could tell you the story of Brunel's achievements. But that didn't make Britain great. Our Chichilian effort. This country's great because there's the seed planted and the prayers spoken from Christians who preserve this nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. And it's going downhill now. And we need to stand up and be counted. And we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who will live the life that God wants us to. We're to have a preserving influence upon our neighbourhoods. We have to have a, a penetrating influence. Salt penetrates and infiltrates whatever it touches. It's an aggressive substance. Just like the early church. You know, you read about the early church and things happened, didn't they? I love being in a church where something happens. Hmm? Oh, well, Holy Spirit, come and rock the boat. All right? Something happens. You know, the early church, something happened that led them on to the next step. And the word of God spread greatly. And 33,000 more were added. And 5,000 more were added. And they got persecuted. And as they went out, they planted more churches. Had a penetrating influence. Jesus said that he's going to build a church that even the gates of hell will not prevail against. We have to stand up. You are the salts of the earth. We have to penetrate into our neighbourhoods and into our communities and our little family, friends, etc. We have to be preservative. Ordinary Christians are to have a purifying influence. Salt has a remarkable cleansing ability. Elisha cleansed a pool of you know, contaminated water by putting salt in it. You can read about that in, in uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, I think it is. Newborn babies used to be washed in salt and firm up their muscles. Salt can be put on a wound to bring cleansing, to purify it. You know, we shouldn't be offended when people change their behaviour because you're a Christian. Some of you know I love to go for a swim and then I sit in the sauna and I love to chat to some of the blokes there. They're really kind of, um, shall we say, salt of the earth kind of characters in a different way to the biblical. And one of them, you know, he once said, oh, stop swearing, the vicar's here. You know? <laughs> and I had to think about that. I think, actually, I'm not offended by that. Because actually what it is, is I'm making a difference just by being there. They suddenly think that they shouldn't speak that that way because I'm there. That's what salt does. It, it purifies. And they suddenly think, well, I shouldn't be talking like this anymore. So we shouldn't be offended that people change their behaviour and change their language when you're around. It shows that you're being salty. You're having a purifying influence. Thank God that you're at, it's acting that way. So let us offer ourselves as living sacrifices to make a difference. Ordinary people. I don't think, you know, is, is Weymouth famous for producing a great author? Anybody know one? Is Weymouth famous for producing, sorry? Thomas Hardy, well he wasn't in Weymouth, sorry. 
Well, yeah, only for a while. <laughs> is, is it famous for producing great leaders and engineers and things like that? You know, we may have one or two down its history, but we're ordinary people, aren't we? Look at the person next to you. Do they look spectacular? <laughs> do they look extraordinary? Yes, they do. But actually, underneath of it, they're, they're ordinary. I'm ordinary, you're ordinary. But God wants us to make a difference. He says, you are the salt of the earth. I mean, some of these kings of Israel, we don't know anything about them. But they just lived their lives faithfully and available to God. And they were preserving and they penetrated and they purified. But ordinary Christians bring a pleasing influence as well. Salt brings out the best, doesn't it? Salt blends and adds flavour to things. I love scrambled eggs. Yeah, I, I, one of my favourite things is scrambled eggs. Um, in fact, if you, I better not say, we had some liquid eggs from the food bank, I think. My wife came back with this bottle of liquid eggs. I've never, I've never had that before. But you can make it, eggs on their own, I don't think you need some salt. In fact, I, I'll give you, a, this is my culinary tip. <laughs> right? Go to the shops, I've got some shares in this company, no I haven't. <laughs> Go to the shops and look for a little thing called Aromat. Who knows what Aromat is? Boy, a few people. Aromat, little sprinkle on, your, on the scrambled eggs. It's kind of salt and flavoursome and herbs and spices. It's not hot and spicy, just brings out the flavour. It is beautiful. There you go, you're all off to the shops to buy Aromat now. You know. <laughs> not right now. Though. But it's, it's pleasing. Salt brings out. We are to bring out the best in what is around us. You know, we're not to be that miserable Christian that's always sort of, oh, don't like this, we don't like that. You know, where Christians are known for what they're against all the time, instead of bringing out the best in other people, the best in your work colleagues, the best in your family, the best in your neighbours. We're to bring out the best. It's what Jesus did time and time again. Ordinary Christians. Here's another one for you. Ordinary Christians have a poisoning influence. Poisoning. Salt kills. Hmm? I don't know if I should own up to this, but I had a fascination as a child that hasn't quite gone away. And that is putting salt on slugs. Right? Don't, don't, don't throw stones at me. <laughs> um, but salt and slugs do not go together. If you, know, you know, the manse, when we moved into it some years ago, the back garden was infiltrated with slugs. Wasn't it, Julia? We, seriously, my mother-in-law went back, went round... And we, would, we could scoop them up by the bucket load. But salt, oh, that sends it up them, as I think, <laughs> as I think someone from Dad's army would say. <laughs> In a way, salt, you see, has a poisoning influence. Salt, you're too much salt, it's high blood pressure, you, you're going to pop. 
Christians, ordinary Christians, will have an effect like that just by being who we are. You know, in the story of Abimelech, if you go and read it, he conquered a city, and then what he did is he poured salt all over the fields to kill the ground. If you put salt in your garden, it will kill the grass. Abimelech salted the ground so that the fields wouldn't produce crops. You, say, and, you know, you, oh, we like to think of our good influence, but actually we have a poisoning influence as well. Why? Because actually when we live the lives that we should live as Christians, then the things of the flesh will be put to death. And sin will not like being around it. We cannot just harbour it in ourselves and other people will see that within us and they will think, I don't like to be there. Why? I can think of two particular homosexual men I used to minister to in London years ago and eventually they get, got, came to the point where said, we don't like being around you because you make me feel guilty even when you don't say anything. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't con- didn't condemn them at all. We had a very good relationship. All it was is they knew that as a Christian it was affecting them just the way they were. We can't be around you. Nothing to do with what their lifestyle was. They, they knew it was wrong. It has a poisoning effect. Ordinary Christians. Maybe this is the last one, I can't remember now. Promoting effect. Is it? Salt creates a thirst when you're exposed to it. We have a wonderful opportunity to promote thirst for Jesus in the world. Jesus said, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. Rivers of living water flow out from us. When we come and drink, that water flows out from us to touch the lives of others. We have a promoting it. We need to be those salt tablets in the place where you work and where you live. The other people become thirsty because of you and me. And that's what these ordinary guys did. (coughs) I don't know how they led the nation, but it wasn't bad. (laughs) And when we, other people are thirsty, and we can create that opportunity to share Jesus, to share life. And one of the things that's burdened me most of all is that most Christians don't seem to promote the thirst, but rather ridicule instead. Too often we've lived substandard, immoral lives and the world sees us and would say, well, why should I receive Jesus? I live better than you. That's this belief and the behaviour need to go together. Are we any different because we believe this? To be the salt, to have an influence. You see, salt changes anything it touches. We're to be the instruments of God wherever we are. Ordinary people making an extraordinary difference. And I think these two guys carried out an important ministry in Israel as we could see with lots of other people. God used them to touch a nation, to maintain peace. He used them for his glory. He used them for the extension of his kingdom and his purposes. Even though they're kind of they don't know much about them, yet they had a successful ministry. 
So let's just close with a few reminders of some of the kind of message that they preached, in a sense. They served for 45 to 50 years. We can learn from them. One of them is you don't have to be famous to make a difference. These two men were not well known, but their lives made a difference for thousands of people. And the same is true for you. Some people think that you, you can't really be used of God unless you're up on a platform, unless you're uh, you know, a big wig or you're, you're, you're famous in some way. Just remember, God placed you exactly where you are. And he wants you to grow and he wants you to serve where he has planted you, right here. And until he sends you on some other assignment somewhere else, doing something different, you serve and grow now. And that means as we look at the church, what we need people in areas of ministry, great. Listen to what God is telling you. Do you need to be part of that? Do you need to spend more time taking hold of those six rhythms we talked about earlier last year? Or was it this year? Uh, um, and which I'm going to talk about next year again. You know, and putting them into practice. Because we need to grow and serve where we are. The number of people have said to me, oh, you've been on sabbatical. You're staying then, are you? Well, I'm here today because that's where God's put me. And when he tells me to go, I'll go. And the same is for you, isn't it? It's not about, are you going, are you staying? You're here now, so serve now and grow now. We don't know what God holds for tomorrow yet. None of us do. I've got enough sermons to keep me going here for a few years. Whether I do them all or not, who knows? Some of you need to step up and become a deacon. Or join the children's team or youth ministry, or street pastors. Well, you need to step out of that little safety zone and go and meet your neighbours. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Go and have lunch with one of your colleagues then. And just share Jesus. Just be salt. God used ordinary people King David herded his father's sheep and he did that faithfully and then God called him to be king. Moses herded his father-in-law's sheep until God said, go deliver my people. But he's he's still serving. It's not the grandness of the assignment, it's will you do, will you be faithful in that which is least? Nobody knows about it much. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were fishermen, and then God called them to something else. But they carried on doing what they were doing. You need to live our life now, in the here and now, doing what God has planted you here to do. You don't need to be famous to make a difference. You don't have to accomplish something great to live an extraordinary life. These two guys, we don't know if they built cities or led campaigns or whatever. We don't know, don't know anything about it. Most of us here will never be famous. We're not really accomplished things that the world wants to write about. 
But actually, we can do something that's far more important than any of those things. Being available and being faithful to live for God now. God can help make the best of a bad situation. The mess they inherited. Well, maybe you look at your life and say, oh, I've just got, I'm, I live in such a mess. My family is such a mess. Gosh, have you seen our lot? <laughs> yeah, we have. But God still wants to use you. You know, one of the things, I, I, I wrote several books of notes while I was away. Uh, and one of the little things I wrote down was about me being a father. And, and I was kind of looking at, you know, talking to the Lord and praying and scribbling notes to myself. I thinking I haven't been a great father. And I was thinking about that and I think I haven't been a great pastor. And I haven't been a great husband. And God gave me these little phrases. Just felt the Holy Spirit put it. Things are not as bad as you think they are. Someone need to hear that? Things are not as bad as you think they are. The next phrase was, things are not as good as you think they are, right? <laughs> and the third phrase was, it's not as broken as you think. And you can't fix it without me. And I wrote a note to myself saying, I know I haven't been the world's greatest father, but I'm trying. And Lord, I come and I look at these ordinary men and, you know, I have to admit, I'm no one spectacular. I'm not going to be, you know, on the, on a, the list of BU speakers for some conference. How do you feel about that? <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to make that. That's, that's not even my ambitions, to be honest. But, you know, but we're just ordinary. But as I read the Bible, God loves to take ordinary people and make a difference. And God is honoured and will honour those that just faithfully serve him and keep going. So let me encourage you to keep living for the Lord regardless of what is going on around you. Keep living for him when times are lean. Keep living for him when others are falling away. Keep living for him when you're attacked for it, even when it's unpopular or others walk out. Because at the end of our lives, God will, we want to see Jesus who will just say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our lives are not in vain. You matter to God. You matter to your family. You matter to this church. You matter to his kingdom. You matter to this community around here that needs you. What was that old song that we used to sing years ago? There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Why don't we stand? I think uh, I'll just close there. I have some more, but time has just gone on. I wonder if the worship group would just like to come up.
If I could just ask you to, um, can you just play through the tune, just very quietly? All right. People will recognise this tune. Here I am, wholly available. And I wonder if that can become your prayer. As the music just plays, I'm not going to... We're not going to sing it straight away. We might sing it in a bit. We'll see. But you've prepared to come to God and say, Lord, it doesn't matter who knows what about me so long as they can see you in me. It doesn't matter how long I've been in this place. It just matters that I'm serving you. It doesn't matter if I'm not famous and well-known. I just want to be obedient to you, Lord. doesn't matter what I accomplish that the world will never recognize. I just want to become more like Jesus. Lord God, I'm an ordinary person who just wants to offer his life, offer her life to you, that you would use me wherever you placed me. You've planted me here in Weymouth. Weymouth Baptist Church in my office, in my school, my factory my street I just want to serve you I want to make a difference for you If you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, because you know you just, you've put yourself down, you've lived under fear, you've lived by other people's rejection, you felt hurt, and you felt you couldn't live and do anything for the Lord, well I, I'd like to pray for you this morning, we've got a team of people here who would love to pray with you, or if you just know you want to rededicate yourself to serving God, in that ordinary way, but making an extraordinary difference, then we want to pray for you. So as we begin to sing, slowly, slowly and softly, then um, you just come forward and someone will be here to pray with you. You don't have to give a speech. You don't have to join this church. You're just acknowledging that God is talking to you and you want to respond to him to make a difference. Let's stand and sing.